Hey, fellow Storyliners, thanks for tuning in this week. <laughs> what a wild time we're living in, right? Uh, we here at Storyline have had to get creative on how we're going to deliver content over the next few weeks as we try to best practice our social distancing. And so this week, we're going to offer this podcast, and over the next few weeks, we're going to try to work our way, to, our, work our way towards offering something a little bit more robust. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, thanks for your patience. Um, I feel like more than ever, I'm reminded of just how much I love being a part of this community and how much I need it. Um, I miss our Sundays together already, and we're only 10 days in. Um, yeah, it's tough, but we're going to get through it. Uh, the Mikes and I, are we're going to do our best to put out as much encouraging content as we can during the season, and so make sure you're following us on Instagram and Facebook and check in with the website every once in a while to stay updated. Um, also, make sure you're on our email list uh, as we'll try to send any new content we have via email. Um, so yeah, just make sure you're on that list. You can find it on our website. We've created kind of a, a landing zone or a drop zone for any updates um, on there. So you can check that out at storylinechurch.org. Um, yeah. Before I dive in this morning, I've got a couple quick announcements. One, if you haven't already, if you haven't already heard, we're canceling all of our official public gatherings at least through April 5th. And so you can, again, just follow us on Instagram and Facebook or head to the website uh, and you can stay in touch and, and see what's going on. We're going to post all of our announcements, any volunteer opportunities, any new content we're putting out. You can find them in those three spaces, Instagram, Facebook, and our website. So secondly, uh, next week, March 29th, that was supposed to be our impact Sunday, but obviously that's not going to happen. It's not going to look like it traditionally would anyway. Um, and so instead for next week, we're going to be interviewing one of our impact partners and we're going to dive deeper into their story and learn a little bit more about how we can serve them throughout the year and not just on our impact Sundays. So, uh, also with that, uh, as far as impact goes, uh, I've been working closely with Benton Harbor area schools to find volunteer opportunities, uh, to serve students who've been, who've been disrupted by our current circumstances. Uh, and so they've developed a great system over there that continues to evolve uh, to get kids meals uh, each week. And um, if this lasts longer than they think it is right now, then they're even talking about uh, building um, different programming for, for tutoring and uh, to provide uh, safe and fun places for kids to be during the day and also kind of creating a network and a supply of hygiene products. Um, so if you have any interest in helping in any of those spaces, shoot me an email. That's paul.nap.storyline at gmail.com. Uh, and I can get you connected with the latest happenings there. So lastly, uh, again, impact related, one of our longstanding impact partners, the emergency shelter, they've got some pretty urgent needs right now. Uh, and so if you've got any extra paper towel, tissue, uh, any cleaning supplies or paper utensils like paper plates, forks, spoons, things like that. Um, would love if you could spare them for the emergency shelter. Now, they can't accept any used donations, uh, but if you got anything new um, that you could spare, that'd be great. Just shoot me an email again, paul.nap.storyline at gmail.com, and we can connect you with the emergency shelter. So I think that's everything in terms of announcements. Uh, again, can't emphasize this enough. Keep updated on our website and our social media over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and we'll keep you connected. So anyway, let's dive in. Uh, what a crazy time that we're living in, right? I keep asking around uh, to all of my friends and family and the wise sages of my world if anyone's ever experienced anything like this. And the answer is always no. This is absolutely unprecedented. And they're right. They're, at no point in modern in the modern era have we experienced anything even close to this. Uh, 
Now, before I get too hyperbolic, yes, we have had many disease epidemics over the years. And we should note that those are terrible. And yes, they were devastating. Thousands of lives were directly affected by the realities of uncurable disease. Um, And I hope we continue to be a world that works tirelessly to do everything we can to rid the world of pandemics. But this disease in particular, this coronavirus or this COVID-19 has caused a, has a, a, cause a global reaction that is truly unprecedented in recent memory or in any memory. Um, it seems like every hour I'm getting another email from Qdoba or FedEx or Jiffy Lube about what they're doing to be responsible during this time. It's like they're all trying to compete with each other about who can be more clean or have better communication or um, come up with this new way to connect with people. Um, it's just, it's nuts. It's crazy. So now I I think regardless of whether you personally believe this is an overreaction or an underreaction or wherever you're at on that scale, the reality is, is this is the reaction, right? And my personal opinions don't reopen the schools and they don't reopen the restaurants or the coffee shops. Like this is what we're living in, regardless of what I think. And so I think the question now that, that I started asking is, okay, what do we do? What, what do we do now? How are we supposed to respond in this season of pandemic and social distancing and voluntary or, I guess, involuntary quarantine? You know, what do we do with these kids that, were supposed to, were, that weren't supposed to come home until June, right? Like, what if I actually need toilet paper? Like, what if I actually need toilet paper? I need to rant on this for a second. It has nothing to do with anything that I'm going to talk about later. But what is the deal with the toilet paper? Why not say bottled water or cough medicine or canned soup? Why why was this initial craze of hoarding, we've got to get to the store right now to get toilet paper? Uh, it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And, and actually, I can't think of a better example of how we are living in the most privileged life of bliss that has ever existed, right? Like, if we're willing to sacrifice our time and treasure in this season of chaos and pandemic to stock up on toilet paper, uh, then you know we've got it good, right? Because the last time I checked, you can't eat it. You can't clean your house with it. It serves one distinct singular purpose of comfort and convenience. And so what I'm asking is, does somebody know something that I don't about toilet paper? Like, do, is it going to become the new currency in some kind of post pandemic Mad Max like world? Uh, so I'm sorry, I'm just confused by it. And I've been actually trying to order toilet paper now on Amazon and Costco for the last couple of weeks and they're sold out. So if you have any toilet paper to spare, First, donate it to the emergency shelter. And then if you got more after that, call me. Um, and uh, yeah. Anyways, let's not get any more distracted from this question at hand, right? Because what do we do now? What do we do now? I thought Mike's announcement from earlier in the week was excellent. Uh, if you didn't get that email or see, or see the podcast from earlier in the week, he he gave this great just little three minutes, and he spun the gospel of grace into this coronavirus narrative, asking the question, what if grace, unleashed through droplets of love, spread person to person, is the vaccine that inoculates a world dying 
of social distancing? Man, what a beautiful question. He's essentially saying, what if grace was like the coronavirus? In that it's both asymptomatic and contagious. And it only spreads if we avoid self-quarantine and social distancing. It was this brief moment of hope for me this week. And if you haven't connected with that announcement from Monday, I encourage you to do so. Um, Unfortunately, though, it didn't change my present reality, right? Like when all this is over, I do hope that that's one of the lessons I take away. That encouragement from Mike that, you know, how can I be a carrier and a spreader of grace in this world? How can I be infectious with love and hope and mercy And that's great. But what do I do now? What do I do right now in the midst of government mandated social regulation, right? Like, what do I do now? And even more like, what do I do if this lasts longer than they think? Like, what do I do if I actually run out of toilet paper? Like, what do I do if I get laid off or if I lose my retirement or if, um, if kids who dispense, who depend on breakfast and lunch from their schools, like what if they continue to be closed? What do we do? What do I do now? There's this incredible story from the Old Testament, and it's in the book of Second uh, Chronicles. And it's part of this history section of the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, the Bible is full of different kinds of literature. It's got poems and stories and parables and judicial documents and songs and deep history texts. And this is just one of six books that takes an exhaustive look at the Hebrew history after Moses delivered the Hebrews um, from slavery in Egypt. Now, I did tell myself I wasn't going to nerd out too much, but there's there's just way too much here to avoid it or ignore it. And so the Chronicles are actually a second telling of history. It was written after Jerusalem and the Hebrew nation were taken over by the Babylonians. Uh, you see these Hebrew priests who were enslaved by Babylon, they were working tirelessly still uh, to preserve their history even despite their oppression, right? Um, and so in many ways, this new version of history uh, that they wrote, um, it's reinterpreted through this new lens of the boot of empire on the throat of the oppressed. Um, and so if you look at the Bible, there's six history books. There's first and second Samuel and first and second Kings. And those four books, they kind of outline the rich history of, of Jerusalem and the Hebrew nation before Babylon. And then you have the Chronicles that tell the same story that share that same history after Babylon. Uh, but really at the end of the day, it's just some history geeks like me who are, are trying to record all the different works of every King in Israel. They want They want to know what they did and whether or not they were good or bad. And without any context, despite whether you're in Samuel or Kings or Chronicles, these can be very admittedly boring books, right? With just these really short glimpses of excitement. Uh, And near the end of of the Chronicles, in this book, Second Chronicles, we get one of those exciting glimpses. And so... In Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, there's this uh, incredible story about King Jehoshaphat. That's right. If you've got kids at home uh, and you get bored next Wednesday, just try saying that name 10 times fast. See if they can do it. King Jehoshaphat. Um, 
now there's so much context here and I don't have the time and you probably don't have the energy for a history lesson right now. So uh, let me offer this. If you want to continue to dive deeper into this conversation around things like the divided kingdom and why Jehoshaphat has found himself in this situation, let's set up a Zoom call and we can nerd out together. But for the time being, let's just say this. King Jehoshaphat is the king of the northern kingdom that they call Judah. In Judah is Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was this original landing spot for the Hebrew people after the exodus from Egypt. And it was known then as the promised land. Um, the Hebrews fought over this land for roughly 400 years and eventually took it from the Palestinians and the Canaanites, who were driven out of the promised land and into a new, re- or not a new region, but a region called Edom. And in Edom, there was a bunch of other tribes uh, who also headed out for the Hebrews. Um, So geographically, think of it this way. It'd be like being kicked out of New York City and then driven into Maine. Uh, But instead of specializing in lobster fishing and butter churning, uh, these people were experts in lawlessness and tribal warfare. So here's where we enter the story, right? Um, This is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, the story of King Jehoshaphat. Verse 1 says this, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Muonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And my friends, who said the Bible couldn't be relevant, right? Like just one sentence in, we can see the relevance to our current situation. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Man, I don't think we can get a better picture into what we're going through right now, right? Because see, all of these ites are coming after Jehoshaphat. The Moabites, the Ammonites, the Munites, they're coming for Jehoshaphat. And my question right now is, who are the ites that are coming after us? Right? The Coronites, the Recessionites, the Quarantineites, the unwillingly having to share a workspace with your spouse-ites. Anyways, let's continue on. Verse 2. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. So alarmed, Jehoshaphat is then resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of this new courtyard and said this. Now, let's pause right here. What do we see? Jehoshaphat, he's alarmed, right? This is a big deal. And so what does he do? He tells the whole nation to do something, to do the same thing, right? He says the whole nation is going to fast, essentially saying we are all in this together. And so he gathers everyone in the temple courtyard, uh, which in which admittedly in our current circumstance, we should not try to model this part of the scripture. But imagine the Vatican City, right? Imagine Vatican City when the Pope speaks. It's that kind of scene. Uh, King Jehoshaphat has gathered everyone here. Now, take a moment. And imagine this with me. What are all these different people thinking, right? Like all these different perspectives. What? What might some of them be thinking? Maybe I'm, I'm guessing there's a person in the crowd that's like, man, why are we here? Why are we doing this? This feels like a way overreaction. Haven't we beat these guys before? I don't really see what the big deal is. Or maybe on the other side, like, what are we going to do? All of these tribes have now combined forces against us. Is this even beatable? Is this winnable? Are we going to make it? 
Or like, what do we do now? King Jehoshaphat, will he have an answer? Surely he's going to tell us what we can do. Anyways, he's brought all these different people together, all these different perspectives. And in that moment, this is what happens. He prays this prayer. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham and your friend? They have, list, they have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us in the inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's his answer. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Their king their leader, the person who's supposed to have all the answers openly and honestly and humbly says, I don't know. What do we do now, right now, here in the strange reality of chaos and confusion and empty streets, overwhelmed by grocery stores and emergency rooms? We don't know, but our eyes are on you. What do we do as these markets continue to crash? All that we prepared for seems to be disappearing. We don't know, but our eyes are on you. What about the least of these, these hourly workers, hungry kids trapped in unsafe homes, the elderly and the medically vulnerable who are being sentenced to loneliness? What about them? We don't know, but our eyes are on you. Friends, these are truly unprecedented times. And I wish there was some great wisdom that I could share that would lead us into some great awakening of response for how to deal with and process all of this, but I don't. I do know this, though. Many of us will get through this relatively unscathed. We have jobs that will take care of us and safety nets that will catch us and immune systems that work pretty well. We'll be unhurt by recession or disease or quarantine But there are also many of us who are fearful, whose minds are filled with what ifs. And it is now, in this moment, that we get to be the community of hope and love that the gospel of grace has called us to. Despite our unknowing, we are focused. We have to be focused on the bigger thing that is happening in the world. And it's in our humility. It's in our humility in God's love for us that calls us to action. That calls us to be a September 10th community. That calls us to be the small life rafts of refuge for our friends and our world. And we may not know what to do, but that's not our job. 
if we merely shift our focus towards God and his unconditional and unlimited grace, perhaps we can begin to ask a new question. Instead of what do we do, it's what can I do? What can I do to be a safety net and a life raft and a glimpse of hope today? Friends, I'll, I'll leave you with this benediction from Psalm 91. You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. Say this, God, you're my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing. Not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, not disease that prowls through the darkness, not disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb all around, drop like flies left and right, no harm will ever even graze you. You'll stand untouched. Watch it all from a distance. Watch the wicked turn into corpses. Yes, because God's your refuge. The high God, your very own home. Evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through the door. He ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go. If you stumble, they'll catch you. Their job is to keep you from falling. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents from the path. If you'll hold on to me for dear life, says God, I'll get you out of any trouble. I'll give you the best of care. If you'll only get to know and trust me, call me and I'll answer. Be at, I'll be at your side in bad times. I'll rescue you, then throw you a party. I'll give you a long life and give you a long drink of salvation. Grace and peace, my friends. I hope we get to be together soon.